Well, now that I'm back from the uh, the traditional uh, December stay back in Texas, you know, I've got to I've got to go in. I know maybe you have this problem, Matt Ray. Yeah. I've got to go into Google Fi and make sure that I've downgraded the plans so that I don't get charged for some sort of like maximal global cell phone coverage, and instead go down to that like what what is it? You can pay like fifteen a month just to sort of like be alive or pause it. I don't, I don't have Google Fi, so I don't know what you're talking about. What? That's the only reason I have it is because I think you recommended it <laughs> at some point. I, 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 I have Google Voice, which all it gets me yeah. is uh, SMS and voicemail. Well, well, here is a little uh, out-of-timeline uh, recommendation, Google Fi. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic. Like, I have that, and uh, both Kim and I, well... We both pay for each, but both Kim and I have it. And it lets you keep your U.S. number. It's fully functional abroad for texting and data. And they have incredible, like, uh, it's kind of like, you remember that whole, uh, I think in 2010, in the Wall Street Journal, there was this article called Software is Eating the World. Yeah. And and this so, is sort of, familiar. Like, this is of, sort of like the embodiment of software is eating the world. You just open up this app. And you're like, this is what I would like my cell phone plan to be this month, and that's it. I think I think it rolled out after I moved to Australia. Like it wasn't uh, yeah. available everywhere, and I was I was like scrambling to get it. I mean, it was literally you know within weeks of of me coming over here, and so I, I missed it. I missed well, I missed my as, window. As as uh, as that old meme goes, only expats will get this. But it's one of those things that you have to do when you're actually you have feet on the ground in exactly. the US. And so like, I happened to set it up at some point, And it was I think two years ago. Uh, and, and it was all fine. You can still sign up for it. It's perfectly question. Doug, do you have available. this in addition to like a, a European plan? Or yes. Is this yes. Also? Okay. Yeah. So you have and, and regular carrier or like a European carrier? Yeah, and 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 yes, I I have a Vodafone, however you however you say that, uh, Netherlands as my and you know whatever Vodafone is you just I have like the unlimited what the fuck right. ever plan, you have unlimited right? data kind of in yeah, your, yeah. your home country in this case which which works in the EU and the UK right like okay. uh, all over it, it's just you can it's no problem but their uh, their roaming charges internationally are like pre AT and T ten dollars a day bullshit. Like, hey, do you remember th- th- that is good compared to what it used to be? I yeah. exactly. Do you remember like that time before you could pay ten dollars a day oh, yeah. to yeah. have international yeah. roaming? That was fucking insane, right? Yes. And that's how it is on Vodafone. Like, if you go to the U.S. Uh, and and you use there, they've got I don't know. It's all crazy. They've got yeah. some scheme, but it's basically just bullshit. Uh, I, it was it was like fifteen bucks American for the whole two weeks I was in in the U.S. on yeah. my carrier. So that's that's and it was it wasn't unlimited, but it was plenty. All right, is, so is question, that, uh, yeah, for, go ahead for both both of you. Then, so uh, here's my uh, current question. I guess, and I did get a response from one of our listeners. So. Uh, I've got a family member going to be in Madrid for two weeks. So I'm trying to figure out like, what's the best way. So home plan is T-Mobile. So they have some international stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but it seems kind of limited. Uh, what Alec uh, recommended uh, when I asked him, he said to use this, uh, It's I think it's called Aralo, A-I-R-A-L-O, which st- sells basically an eSIM and then they have different packages, like two weeks, five gigs, you know, three weeks or a month, you know, 10 gigs, something along those lines. And they were pretty cheap. I mean, anywhere from like starting to $5.99 going up all the way to, you know, probably 30 bucks. So is something like that advisable? And, you know, I, you won't have a phone number, which is fine. And just want the data because they can, yeah. we, do, um, we can use FaceTime or something else. So is that advisable or is it, uh, stay with, uh, your home carrier and do the international roaming? But 10 bucks a day. Well, I don't know. Well, I don't, gosh, ten bucks a day is crazy. That would be way too. I much. think. I think. I think that's what AT and T does. Like when I've had relatives visit, you know, they're like, "Oh, we we just use the you know ten bucks a day. It's fine." I'm like, "It's actually not fine." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. So I don't know the plans, but that is what I used to use is the that AT and T thing. And well, well. So I I would say three things. One. I haven't really explored all the eSIM options, but that probably is a good option. And what I what I learned from, um, well, what I've realized, I should say, in the last few years is you can 
spend a couple of weeks worrying about how much data you use on your phone. That sounds like some sort of like, well, that's nice that you live that way uh, sort of situation. But like, really, unless you have kids who want to uh, tether to your phone, is that what they say? Tether nowadays? Okay. That want to tether to your phone and like watch YouTube. You don't really have to worry about data usage. You just go in there and you say uh, low data usage and you turn off overcast and photos. (laughs) Right. And uh, then you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. And and then like you really don't consume like so five to 10 gigs is going to be plenty. If you're a responsible adult. So you can sign up for an eSIM thing. Now, the problem there is if you sign up, it's actually like the uh, the old days. If you sign up for some carrier that you've never heard of, it's they're they're like, uh, uh, what what do you call it? Their uh, their bars, their connection is probably going to suck. Right. Mm -hmm. Like even even like Google's connect uh, Google's data. Not so good. Most of the time, like. It's good in the States, but over here doesn't really function very well. So then the second thing I would do is, uh, um, like Matt was saying, like, you know, it does seem like $10 a day to have full unlimited access to your phone, to not have to worry about it and for it to just work. Well, when I put it that way, it sounds pretty great. Uh, but like, it is great. Like, so I guess if you're going to be there 10 days, you're talking $100 plus tax, uh, which is now that I live in Europe, American taxes are nothing. Uh, like, <laughs> so, you know, you're going to pay, what, $120 for 10 days, which does seem like a lot. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not like you're on vacation. You would buy yourself a okay, nice so meal. Budget, just budget head for it. You know, basically. Yeah. But, but, like, but Kote, I got I got five phones in my family. I, I hear you. Now, so, now that that's where I, I do the cutoff point is like, as always, uh, if you don't bring money into the family, sorry. You get If you don't bring in money, you can wait for Wi-Fi. That's, yeah, that's the answer. That's, like, that's the answer. Well, maybe that's the best. Maybe that's always the answer. Wait for Wi-Fi because that, that's obviously, you know, then you uh, really get. Okay, well, listen, I'll just invite the listeners because I know we have a, quite a quite a group of international uh, people that figured this out. If there is a, a great way, I think all of the EU would be good, but at least that's my, my current question is yeah. mid, mid Spain. But yeah, if you've got a, a good solution and I do think this one that I got uh, was pretty good, but if you've got a better one, uh, let me know, you know, email me or put it in the Slack and, and tell us why it's a good one. I'll make sure to give you a shout out. And, um, and, and so just really quick, the third thing is if you know someone locally, you find out just like the store you would go to, to buy a SIM. Right. So mm-hmm. if you're going to the States, just like go to Target and you right. can buy a SIM card. Yeah. Right. Now here, uh, right when you go to Skipple, there's a Hama store there. You go to Hama and buy a SIM card. I will say a little, the phones, the latest iPhones over here, no SIM, no SIM card slots. Everything's eSIM now. So oh yeah. yeah you yeah, got to yeah. do, uh, which I think is fine. Like, I mean, we're all, well, you, yeah. can, you can buy those online. So you then you can no, even absolutely. like sort, That's sort what, it out before you just, even get yeah, This one has an app. I mean, the way this is a wrinkle. Yes. Yeah. Well, the way this one describes itself, this one uh, was recommended was just sort of like you download the app, you buy it. And then yeah. uh, it starts as soon as it connects to the network, which kind of makes sense, right? So like you're right. flying over, uh, but of course I'm not going to be there. So it's sort of like, any, you know, it's like, I don't know. There's yeah. that no, I, maybe an issue. So I, and also too, I don't know. It seems like everything I've read, two eSIMs on a phone, not a big deal anymore. That's like, oh, that's. Yeah, that's what system. I have. It's fine. So it, should, it should all work, right? I, I think I think this is one of those things that in two or three years, it won't be a problem. We won't even be talking about it, right? Because it's just like, it'll well, be fully commoditized and, and virtualized, software defined, and uh, yeah. it'll be fine. But All right, well, email me in. If you've got better recommendations, let me know. I'd love to hear about people's ideas. Speaking of waiting two to three years, it seems like we also might be waiting two, two to three years to figure out this whole insurification situation <laughs> that we have. Oh, it's here now. And, and, I, and I, think, I think it is appropriate that last year, uh, what was it? The word of the year, or just acknowledge? What, no, what was, was the whole it's thing? Twenty one, one group of people. That was the twenty twenty three word of the year, and should amazing. Is that Merriam-Webster uh, who does that? I, I forget. Uh, it was the that. the American Dialect Society. Yeah, it's a different group. Oh. But uh, okay. and I guess the original, uh, I guess creation of the word is uh, uh, Cory Doctorow. So there you oh. go. So yeah. uh, you know, he uh, he has another claim to fame, whether you like that or not. Love that yes. guy. Just uh, smoking crack in Disneyland. That's all I can think when I hear his name. <laughs> Anyways, 
like I think uh, I think also what we're seeing, if we expand this into our area of the thrilling world of enterprise infrastructure software, I think you see this further rolling out. I want I, I want to experiment. I don't know if I think this is true, but I want to say that the business bullshit way of phrasing in shitification is uh, profit reaping. Ooh, ba- yeah. Basically, like, inshittification occurs when you're like, "Oh, right, we should actually have to make money," and th- that's that's when you put. Yeah, you, uh, but, but no, there, there's 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 a, a another layer to it. I mean, and inshittification is is the idea that you know, hey, you've got a product, it's great, everybody loves it. Uh, you've built this big marketplace for people to come in and and, and participate. Um, and then, you know, because you're running the marketplace, you're watching what the other people are, are doing as they come in. And and slowly you you start to you know raise raise <clears throat> the barriers on the other people in your marketplace, whether you're competing with the same products they have, uh, you know, Amazon Basic or Amazon right. services, um, or uh, you start, you know, giving them the opportunity to advertise, to get in front of people. Uh, and and kind of you know rather than have this you know meritocracy of best product wins, you're like, well, you know what, we'll, we'll, you pay and we'll put you in the front. And so Google obviously is doing that. Uh, you I know, see. W- when I search for when I search for Sheraton, the first thing that shows up is Hilton. Right? Um, that's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> I see. I see. Okay. So so I maybe I didn't read that article closely enough because yeah. I, I I I had been uh, smoking my crack pipe in Disneyland too much. And like, I, I, it's basically like payola. Oh yeah. In, in yeah. Fr- from the radio. It, and, so and the quality of the product declines and declines and declines until you get to like, if you go to buy something today on Amazon, um, uh-huh. unless you know the exact product you want, if, if I go and I search for uh, floor mat, um, I'm going to be approached by a thousand different options. And none of them are companies or products I've ever heard of. And they've got crazy names that are gaming the whole system, trying to get to the front of the line, the reviews mostly fabricated. And right, right, you know, right, the right. only things I see are the people who are paying Amazon. And then on top of that, Amazon's taking a 60% cut in marketplace. I mean, it's and, just- a- and, and, the, and then so the, the, uh, the, well, the, the letdown here is that, you know, as, 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 yeah. as technologists, we know that you could like fix that problem. Right. Or fi- fix is a strong word, but mysteriously, like the good the good use case is like mysteriously, like uh, Nazis don't show up a lot in, in like social media things. Right. Like there, there's, <laughs> some, <laughs> there, there's there's like some there's like some weird shit that I see my kids watching in YouTube, but never that. Right. Yeah. So like if a technology company has the will to like filter a certain type of uh, content, they can't. Right. Well, well, not a, yeah, yeah. This like, is this isn't the content. This is this is incentives. I was gonna yeah. say, I think the incentives are interesting. I think it's interesting to like go back in time and like figure out because I don't think it just sort of like it's not like one day everything's great and then the next day everything's enchantified, right? So it's sort of like, and I think Matt, you found this article and I thought it was really instructive about like where this all started for it. And it's done by the Verge. It's it's a long read, but it was excellent. And it's called how Google perfected the web. And what they do is they kind of go through the timeline from the beginning, you know, pre-Google all the way through to where we are today. And it kind of walks through like, how did web pages become the format they are? And I think the ones that we think of today, it's like there's sort of a, a certain amount of SEO in them. There's headings in them. There's ads everywhere. And Infinite what this scroll. does is it kind of walks through the process, right? Like in the beginning, Google was was perfect, right? It was like we had no search engine like it. It was sort of a miracle. It worked, right? And all the web pages were just sort of generically written for human beings to to read. And then what they kind of show is like through the process of Google making recommendations, over time, the web pages become, if you will, more Googleified in the sense they have headings, they have SEO, they maybe have images, and then they start to have places for ads. And it's like, it's not like it just happened one day, but it's sort of like over this period of whatever, 10 or 15 years, everyone figured out if you want to get Google rankings, here's what you you should do. Well, now we end up, and so when you kind of watch the whole process, now you end up with web pages that are really you know irritating, right? especially like recipe web pages. Or if you're just looking up, I think the classic one is like, when is the Super Bowl? Instead of it just telling you the day, 
it's like, you know, it's like a, a page is like 15 different layers are being loaded and all the information of, is obfuscated. And, and so if you kind of look at it and it's like, okay, like why is Google doing that? And then you kind of go to the next level. It's like obviously Google's incentives are ads, right? And so what they're trying to do is help you put more ads on your page, right? And so they're incentivizing you to then create pages that Google likes that humans don't so that you get the different ads on it, which then of course creates kind of what you guys were alluding to starts to create a lot of ad fraud, right? You end up with all of these weird things where ads start to show up and maybe they're visible. Maybe they aren't, maybe they can click on them. Maybe they aren't right. And you kind of end up in the sense of where I was reading some articles, something like, you know, 30% of all quote unquote ad spend is just kind of fraud, right? It's just like people clicking on it either. But which know, 30%? Right. And it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, he, they even reference that line. They reference that line in that marketing line. It's like, I'll, I'll cut back art marketing if you can tell me like which 50% doesn't work. So, so it's one of those things I think is just kind of interesting. It's like, you know, it's the incentives of Google. And then, and now it's almost, you have like a, a tail wagging the dog kind of situation where it's like web pages today are mostly written first and foremost for Google <laughs> and they are hard for human beings to, and because that's the only way people can get traffic. So you kind of end up with web pages that aren't necessarily useful for human beings optimized for ads that have a lot of weird ad spend, but it didn't happen overnight. I think every logical step in there was sort of like made sense at the time. And now you end up to your point um, that, you know, a lot of the web kind of feels like it's just very difficult, if not useful, right? I mean, useless, right? Almost like feels like you have to use like pay sites. Now it's like, you want like well-written articles, you know, it's like you want sports, go to the athletic, you want news, favorite uh, newspaper. So it's just interesting. That's, that's where we've gotten to go ahead, Matt. And, and and as much as we all love AI, it's like it's accelerating the, the crappiness. Um, I mean, because now I can I can literally unleash a- AI to generate pages. You know, there used to be um, oh geez, I don't remember the the site, but there used to be there used to be a a group um, I think based in Austin who had access to like the Google search terms that people yeah, like were demand using. Media, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, demand. They were the ones. And so they were like, okay, well, here are things people are searching for that aren't getting answers. And then they would, you know, generate long tail content. Well, you know, I don't know if demand's still around, but AI's picked up that. that yeah, so they were uh, a content farm. They ultimately went yeah. out of business. But yeah. like, what was their but business? Now, but now the time? content farming is completely generated and i've more than once gone into a couple of pages where i'm like this is garbage and it's generated garbage where you know you're like you have a question and it kind of hits it kind of in the first paragraph and then it hits it a si- second time sideways the next paragraph and then the third paragraph is like a rehash of the first paragraph and the fourth one is you know the same thing but twisted again i'm like oh my god you know and then it's infinite right so that's kind of SEO stuff right it's like mention the word every you know you know whatever three sentences mention the word have have three headings have you know three different paragraphs and so so i I mean i agree but it it does kind of come back to i guess the biggest thing it's sort of like you know at the end of the day incentives rule everything and i think you know amazon as well it's like you know all these companies either want or need to grow right and at the beginning, like I said, Google was great. Amazon was great. Maybe there was just one or two ads. Some Google results, there were no ads, right? But then, you know, now 20 plus years later, you know, you kind of see Google, you know, and maybe we'll talk about it today, but Google sort of cutting back, not, you know, growing as fast as they are. And you, when you go to the, to the search results page, you see probably like, you know, 10 ads on the sidebar, four or five at the top, right? And it's like, but I, but I see, I mean, I get the, the perspective of like running that business. It's like, well, we got to make more money, right? And if you're going to be there two to three years and you're like a manager or an executive, like the fastest thing you can do is add more ads to the search results to, I mean, there's like no other option. Like if anyone was there and they're like, I got to make more money and I need to make hundreds of millions. I can't just make a few million dollars. (laughs) Why don't you just sell more cloud? Right. That's what I'm saying. Like there isn't like another (laughs) major cash cow, which maybe we'll kind of get to like, you know, some of like, you know, what happens to all companies are like this, right? It's like your cash cow is not surprisingly where you can go to make cash. So I don't know. It, it just becomes one of those things where it's like, I know everyone just sort of like wants to like demonize everyone. It's like, I can't believe people are doing this, but it's like, I think if you go back and you think about the managers running that company, it's like, they're just making the logical decision. Like we need to grow by 10%. What can we do? Well, let's run more ads. 
You know, I mean, it's, it just seems like how it happens everywhere. Now, eventually I, cause now maybe AI is the solution because I actually find oftentimes not like writing content, but just sort of like asking a question and asking yeah. for an answer. Well, AI well, gives let, you a let's not jump ahead to our picks just yet. That's right. But AI gives you like a perfect <laughs> summary, right? They're like, you know, tell me how to make tacos. <laughs> They're like, like a bunch of other bots told me that this is what you want. <laughs> right. But it's like, beautiful, but it's very, I don't know. At least right now it's really good. It's really short oh, and sweet. But, but I mean, th- this feels like. I mean, this is this is a long. This has always been the case, right? Those those of us, um, uh, hopefully, I'm still on the us. Those of us who are still on like the technology edge, who are willing to like adapt to the times, you know, we kind of like float over the, this crappiness. But if you ever like fire up a generic web browser and without ad blocking, without you know, and just like start going to websites, it's like it's horrible. I mean, it, I mean, just the the you know, going to Google and searching for something, you get inundated with ads. You get sent to like a trash site that's probably going to try to send malware to your system. I mean, how does anybody use the internet? <laughs> well, I think the another question I have though is like, I mean, because this this um, kind of same article, there's I think it's a short book actually called Subprime Attention Crisis. Like, a couple things it throws out is like one, you know, there is sort of like, you know, they kind of make this uh kind of broad analogy towards kind of the, the housing crisis, right? With sort of all of this like overvalued stuff. And it's like, well, maybe at some point, like people do kind of get wise to like, there's not a lot of value in all these ads that are being shown, right? Like I said, some, some amount of waste is going on. But then it's kind of interesting if you kind of go forward, you think to yourself like, well, what does it look like with the internet not powered by ads, right? Like how many free, because there's a lot of subsidies that we all kind of enjoy, whether we like it or not, right. that the ads provide. And it's sort of like, if you have to start paying for everything, um, I don't know, like it may lead to, it leads to a couple of things. Like obviously people don't want to pay. Some people can't pay. Um, and it just gets kind of to an interesting question. It's like, yeah, you know, you could, you could, an internet like that could could exist, but I don't know necessarily if it's an internet that we would, I don't know if it would be better. I don't know, Kote, what do you think? Well, you know. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I, I I think one, it would be great if if uh investors burned all of this money in like, I don't know, pharmaceuticals or something. Like just just, <laughs> just like, you know, giving all of this free great value to people to like, you know, uh uh make them healthier. But I but I think like the the issue is that uh not to be all Ben Thompson but all of these businesses we're talking about they have like no marginal cost basically so just like whatever they want to do as long as they have tons of users like it costs them no extra money so it's all money once you kind of like control the channel of attention um and so it seems like the 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 problem is like kind of as as y'all have been going over <clears throat> At, at some point, like this weird shell game kind of ends, right? Like if 30% of these ads are bullshit, right? Or if like the quality of things you're buying are bullshit, like it's just a bunch of as seen on TV stuff, like eventually that catches up with you and like it's, it doesn't really work out so well. Like hence in shitification, right? Yeah. That you have to kind of like get that 10% extra to just kind of like keep up this, this fake level that you have. And so like that, that's really like the, and I, and I like what you pose Brandon. It's sort of like, I mean, this is a classic, like it's impossible for a group as large as the internet to decide what it wants. So it has to kind of like chaotically emerge, but yeah, at some point we're going to have to decide like, yeah, this is all bullshit, but we kind of like the result. So let's just keep the bullshit machine going. And then let's convert this bullshit into real shit or whatever, right? <laughs> like, 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 even though we know it's all just like weird and not very effective, the net benefit that we get from it as a whole is great. So just sure, well, let's that, keep that, it going. That, that's the problem is there is a decline in the net benefit. People, people are recognizing that the quality of content right, they get right, from right. the internet has greatly decreased. People have yeah. noticed that sites like Facebook and Twitter are overrun with trash and, you know, misinformation but, and, 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 and so I, I was, as, as, as we were, we were talking about this, I was thinking about let, let's contrast this with like YouTube. Now I was joking that my kids watch some weird shit in YouTube. Right. But like, it is almost, there's something pure is the wrong word. 
but I'm going to use it. There's something a lot more pure about the algorithm of YouTube where it can really hone in. Right. Well, sure. Right. Where it can hone into like, this is actually what you like because it doesn't track what you click on or track what you are like, uh, the keywords you're putting in it. I, I assume it tracks how long you watch something. Right. And so it knows that like, I would like this thing in my life and therefore I'm validating that I enjoy it. Right. And so therefore you get more and more weird videos of God knows what, right. Whereas when I go to YouTube, like most of the things that I, I see presented to me when I'm at YouTube, I'm sort of like, yeah, I mean, I can see why it would think I would want to watch that. Right. And so like, there is not so much like, well, now that, that said, also I pay for premium, so I don't see the ads, but the things, the things that it's recommending are like fine. Right. Like the the, the recommendations are fine. The problem is even YouTube is starting to, to suffer from generated content. If, If there's something that I bet if we went to YouTube right now, and search on Stanley mugs or cups or whatever their keywords uh-huh. are, there would be, you know, 25,000 posts of videos of people TikToking their way into success um, to generate a couple of eyeballs. And I would hazard a guess that 99.9% of them are garbage, right? Probably I need to watch like, I don't know, Vox in the Atlantic to get, you know, the one video that explains why it's, it's popular and everything mm-hmm. else is just clickbaity trash. But the problem is like, how, what raises what rises to the top? You know what gets put in front of me. What and you know the, the those people are still being rewarded for generating trash, and so the volume of trash is is higher and higher and higher all the time, which makes the quality lower. Finding those needles in the haystack of quality becomes harder, and it just makes the entire site less useful because. It's just full of shit. Right. So it kind of back to incentives. So your point, like you'd have to like go back and remove the incentives to create that kind of content. It's the only way for it to get get out there. And I guess I just kind of come back to it because I think Google, Amazon, and Apple to a large extent, you know, this week, you know, Apple, there's a lot of uh, talk this week about Apple's like pretty, pretty uh, cutthroat about applying, you know, its developer, um, you know, fee, right? The 30%, right? That they're basically going to get that no matter, no matter how. And I think they, and but I think all those companies kind of face the same question is like, they're huge companies. They have to continue to grow. They have to want, or at least that's that's the way the management is is incentivized. So it's like they've all got to do these things. Like you know, if you, they're just simple things. It's like I either got to run more ads, I got to take more money from the developers, I got to keep my thirty percent up, or on Amazon, absolutely. Every time you go to Amazon, it's like it is a little bit of a you know you have to go through all the different things to find like the actual product that you think is good, and it's like, but they're all kind of you know incentivized the same way. So I don't, I kind of feel like it's a good word. I like intuitification because it encapsulates so many things. But I don't. There's like, I guess, I guess, I, I'm kind of get left with like, well, what is the alternative? You're not going to tell these companies not to grow, right? Well, I, 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 I think, I think. One sort of like strategic alternative, bringing up Apple and their their uh, their twenty seven to thirty percent cut, which is just fantastic. <laughs> right. Uh, like, I think that does give to be a little Machiavellian or or whatever cynical a model where I, w- I wish I could remember the like Michael Porter terms for this, but if you if you want to profit reap from what what was the value if you want to extract margin from your suppliers that's probably okay if your suppliers are far removed from your buyers right so with the apple store no one's going to give a fuck right like developers are going to care and like all of us type of tech people are going to be like oh my god because it is like you know apple might just as well come out and be like yeah check this shit out right like and just well, that, that, yeah, it's absurd, right? But for the rest of the world, and I'm not saying this in some sort of like looking down on it or whatever, but like the rest of the world is just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've got a game I want to play. Yeah, just right? give me the they, app, right? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're just like, so what you're telling me is I'm not going to enjoy my phone as much because of whatever junk you're talking about. I'm not interested, yeah. right? And so like, like well, all it, of this, it, all until of this, you run into something like like a Fortnite or a Netflix where people are like, right, you right. know what, we're going to stay out of your store because you know, right? And and so so that's where a real standoff can happen is if at some point Netflix was like, yeah, we're not going to be 
uh, in Apple land anymore. Then like well, that's that, now, with the Vision Pro, right? Is, well, sure, is the- sure. Right. So so that that's like in the future there that, that we'll see that play out. Right. And yes. Right. But the point the point being that, like, so in contrast, uh, like, so if inshittification occurs to your suppliers, but your consumers really see no negative effect to it, your buyers, then it doesn't matter. Right. Like you can right. mess around behind the scenes. And like as an, I, I was thinking about this recently, like as an example in our industry, like. I remember, I don't even know when this was last year, but I feel like I spent two weeks trying to figure out what the fuck was up with that Red Hat relicensing stuff. <laughs> and and like, I don't think anyone gives a fuck anymore. No, like, they, they don't do. even really- They've moved like, on to other stuff. I mean- Right, exactly. It's just like, and so it's sort of like, it, like when I was thinking about the Apple stuff, I was remembering that and thinking like, yeah, every now and then you just got to like take that uh, that thing of like, mm, the, the, uh, the customer's always right except for pricing. And you just like run with that and then it's fine. And no one remembers and it passes over. I, I, I think I think Apple is not the best example because they are not trying to um they're not they're not working both ends of it. You know, they're trying to provide their customers mm. with with a high level experience, whereas Google and Amazon are like, let's soak our suppliers, let's soak our consumers. You know, let's take money from both ends. And, you know, we'll just be the middleman who extracts value. And which means like, you know, if, if Amazon had, if, if Amazon had, you know, whatever their cut is for their marketplace, but ensured that the products were high quality and the reviews exactly. were good. That's right. I, and, you know, when I searched for something, I was going to get something that is actually what I want. Um, that's great. But instead I'm left with this, you know, chaos, froth. Of, right. Of, just exactly. And, and so that would be the model is that instead of and and it doesn't mean that it works in these cases, but this is the more sustainable model is in the case of Amazon, instead of inshittifying us, the customer, whatever, uh, uh, like <laughs> you, you, you sort of like charge your suppliers more, right? Yes. Like somehow you get a bigger cut from the suppliers without uh, worsening the experience of the, uh, and, and, and people have done this for a long time. I mean, people used to, you know, used to still rag on Walmart, how they just, you know, soak their suppliers. You know, they're like, what your margins right. need to become our margins. That's and the customers example. felt like they were getting low prices, but over time, the quality of what Walmart was shipping declined. I mean, it's physical. So it's, oh, I, I like that. I like that. So, so basically there is a, uh, the Harvard business review, uh, how to make use of the Cory Doctorow insertification thing would be like you've got to make a chart that tracks your insertification rate, and <laughs> yes. and and there's going to be there's going to be consumer perception yes. of the quality of your product, and you make sure those lines don't cross. Right. I mean, I, right? I don't like, think like perception of quality has to remain above insertification ratio or or. And, and I think I think my 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 perception of this is is Apple is conscious of this. They try to keep themselves above that line. Whereas, you know, Amazon and Google are kind of just, you know, wallowing in it. And, and Microsoft too, like, uh, you know, I saw, you know, a new, new version of, of windows 11. As soon as you install it, it's full of, I mean, this has always been the case, right? They're always full of bloatware. They're always full of crap that nobody really wants. Well, before we get off, before we give Apple a pass, I think it's like, I don't know. I think it's instructive to go in the app store and search around for like open AI. That's true. You're going to see, uh, Apple has, that's fair. Has really amped up like the kind of like, I don't know what you call them. Low quality. I'm just call them low quality apps that are clearly like, Riding on different, um, you know, keywords that are of, and I think you know, and I think we're just seeing the beginning though, because Apple oh, yeah. has had this well, incredible uh, money, and I think this is what it all comes down to. It's like there's a cash cow, right? And at the beginning, it's great, right? Over time, you just slowly increment a little bit more m- money, and it's like kind of annoying to us at the beginning, but like it's fine, it's okay. An occasional ad on YouTube is fine. An occasional uh, ad in Amazon is fine. But then as it, as that dial just keeps getting turned and turned and turned, it is. It's sort of like you're just going to basically map. Well, I get to your point. It's there is some line, there's some chart, Cote. But as you were saying, it's just like well. At some point, people actually start using it less. It's but I don't think people are using. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if people are really using Google less or Facebook less or Apple less or Amazon less 
So while we may kind of see it coming, maybe that'll happen one day. It still seems pretty far off. And so, but, but it, know, it is happening. I mean, you, you people are it's happening in an earnings way. It's not like uh, these companies right. are all the most valuable companies in the world. So I don't know, like they may trip the line, like maybe like the, the, the next ad, you know, that one more ad box on Google may finally flip the switch. Right. And we may all stop using it, but they're going to find that to the point of where it's like, no, 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 we're going to take it to the absolute end. Right. And what else could they do? I don't know what else you would want them. To, like if you're there and you're told to make more money with this product, like, I don't know if you're the one who's like, no, 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 let's stop making, let's make less money and keep the product. Well, you're just not going to be in that job very long. It's just, well, I mean, this is a whole like crossing the chasm kind of thing where, you know, you've got something, you know, what the challenge is. The challenge is AI that goes around all this is, is, you know, I, I, I'm giving up on what you're providing me and I'm going to ask a trusted expert to go and And fix this problem that you've created. And Mm -hmm. and the problem though, is like Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, they all want to be the next provider of your AI assistant, right? They're well, all like, I, I, oh, yeah, we can't get off this gravy train. I, I think I think we have an assignment uh, for the Sunday perspective. And that is and that is how does an enterprise company escape in shittification? Like like it, it like if, if you're in that situation as you were going over, Brandon, what do you do? Right. Like, how do you uh, what do you do as a company? Because like, you know, you got all these people you got to support. You got your uh, your e-beat and your EBITDA and all that you like, you got a lot of stuff to go on. Like, you know, you got to do something. So like, uh, historically, what do people do? We'll we'll see if, uh, if uh, analyst Brian can sort it out. Now, speaking of things that need to be sorted out, do we have any bureaucracy this episode? We do. Uh, I wanted to thank Wes. He wrote in. So I sent him some stickers. He's in North Carolina. I sent stickers to Mark in Philadelphia. And then I also sent stickers to Alec in Valencia, Spain. And I sent a nice little note here and I'll quickly read it. It says, uh, love the show. I'm a Scotsman living in Valencia, Spain, working for AWS. I'm in my 40s and recently accidentally upgraded my family to two, uh, from two to three kids. Absolutely amazed with all the quality output you folks do on top of demanding careers, a full family life, and for Cote and Matt Ray living in different countries from their families. Very impressive. Would be good to hear the origin story about how you all met and started the podcast. So I know we've told it before, and maybe, you know what, maybe Cote, maybe you and I will tell that story at the uh, in, in the post show. Uh, this oh, week, sure. If people want it. Uh, but Why if you like the sticker uh, and uh, like... Uh, get one like Wes, Mark, and Alec, all you have to do is send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Also, quick shout out to Robert. He recommends another stainless mug. I don't know how to say it. I think it's Zeroshi, the SMSR48E. Looks like a very fine mug. It has the uh, all the things I like. It has a, a locking uh, top and uh, another one. So keep sending them as well. And then finally, uh, Michael Neal, I just want to say this. He's down in Australia Somehow he posted a picture of a vending machine that that gives out meat. So I feel like <laughs> that's something that should have been invented by Texas. But congratulations to the Australians for uh, coming up with a vending machine of just meat. And uh, we'll, we'll get on getting that in the United States soon enough. I'm, I'm sure if in Texas we had a vending machine that gave out like meat or barbecue, the people would be like, yeah, but how are we going to get them to come to church on Sunday if we do that? <laughs> we can't allow that. And uh, also, they might want to buy cars, so we got to shut down car sellers on Sunday. Oh. And anyhow, uh, yeah. Also, that mug sounds like it might be—it's either like a way to keep your drink warm or some sort of ballistic missile. It's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's hard to figure out. It's well, with, yeah. And oh, I, if there was a sitcom about my life, my family life, it would be called "Accidentally Upgraded." Uh, That's why I want to read it, Coach. I thought you would uh, feel uh, feel some um, some kinship uh, in that that statement. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm gonna have to think about that one for a while. Anyways, what do you, what do you have to recommend this week, Matt Ray? Well, um, my recommendation this week is uh, per- Perplexity.ai. So um, this is a search engine uh, that you know uses AI. Apparently, when they first launched, uh, they were riding on top of ChatGPT or Bing AI or something like that. Uh, but now um, they've rolled. Or, they've rolled out their own search index and they're doing their own searches and it has a, uh, you know, a chat GPT type interface to it where you say, you know, Hey, this is what I'm searching for. And then it gives you an answer and it provides links to where it got the answers, which means it's less likely to just make up crap. 
Um, but you can continue to refine your questions. And so um, I think the reason I, I think the reason I like it so far is uh, um, just the double checking your answers. Right. They're like, well, here's where I found those things. And that's yeah. that, that's where everything needs to go. Um, they've got some sort of, you know, freemium model that I haven't tripped into yet. But, uh, you know, um, good luck to those guys. Uh, so far, I like the product. Yeah, I, I used that a while ago. And and given our inshittification talk, I'm thinking that like the bar is so low for like a pleasant search, search experience yeah. that you don't have to do very much. Well, Basically, that, you yeah. just have to like not have a bunch of shit. And, I, I and mean, I, I, you know, I had changed a lot of browsers over to like, you know, DuckDuckGo and stuff. I was like, the search results are the same. I mean, mm, you know, because yes. usually like, it, it wasn't that hard to find, you know, two or three things and and the top 10 results of any of them that were, were what you needed. And uh, maybe it wasn't always the first choice. Maybe a few things were getting overlooked, but I'm sorry, there wasn't that much compelling about Google search anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. It It is odd. Well, how about yourself, uh, Brandon? What do you have to recommend? Uh, my recommendation is just more of an observation this week. I uh, was selected to go to jury duty, and I just want to congratulate the Travis County jury duty site. So they have a site. It's called iJury. So in the past, you get a piece of mail that says, uh, jury duty, come on this day and time, and you just have to show up, and you don't really have much say in it. So this one is pretty cool. Like It was a website. They basically let me go in. They let me pick out days and times that worked for me. Then they uh, sent me a nice email with extensive instructions on what to do when it was my uh, turn to go to jury duty, which was great. But even better, uh, at the end, uh, the day before, weekend before I had to go, they sent me a nice email saying it was canceled and that the the, trial had been postponed or canceled or whatever. So I didn't have Uh to go to jury duty. In the past, what I've had to do is like, just like make plans to go on that day get down there, like just stand around, do nothing. And then most, every time I've done it, I've uh, been dismissed as either there was no trial or I was not picked for the trial. So I just thought like, this was probably a good six hour savings on my life. And I, I was like, fantastic. And I really appreciate, at least they give you a chance to play, pick time and days that work for you. Cause there's nothing more inconvenient to have it uh, come on a time when you just can't do it because something like that. So good job, Travis County jury duty. I look forward to my next jury duty where hopefully it's dismissed as well. This is, this is uh, what I tell people uh, whenever I talk to someone who does software and government, wherever it may be, is you potentially ha- can have the biggest, most positive effect on the world of anyone who does software. Cause we all depend on and interact with governments and their software sucks, right? So like now Brandon and all these other people doing jury duty, they don't have to just like show up because they got some postcard in the mail. It's a better experience, right? All you have to do is write this little tiny bit of software and you're going to make everyone's life so much better. Just like our mobile passport thing, right? Like you can do so much with software. So government people, anytime they want to improve their software, we should all be celebrating that and, uh, and funding it. Uh, which I looked at my paycheck and the taxes taken out this month. And there's a little wonder why the software here is so great. Very well funded. Australia is the same. Great software. Great software, people. Love the software in the bike lanes. We're doing a good job over here. Well, my recommendation, speaking of doing a good job. So uh, there were some coworkers in town uh, last night. So we went out uh, to have uh, some dinner. Uh, And we went to a new rice table place. I'm not going to try to say it in Dutch because I'll, I'll mess up. Uh, but the rice table, again, to review that, maybe not again, is um, it's this Dutch-Indonesian thing where you get like all these, you get maybe, let's say, 10 to 15 different little dishes and small bowls, and you sample all of them. It's it's great. Uh, and we, we usually go to this place called Kartika, uh, which is good. It's very old school. Kartika is almost like, now that I've been to several rice tables, it's almost like the enchilada zimas of Tex-Mex. It's just, it's just super old school as far as I can tell. Very traditional. Nothing fancy. Just, but it's good, right? But we went to this new place called, uh, to all the Dutch speakers out there, I apologize. It's called Kantil and de Tiger, or Kantil and de Tiger, as, as we would say. And it is fancier. 
right? Like it, it's a little uh, nicer. They serve their coconut rice like wrapped in a banana leaf instead of just a bowl, like all sorts of stuff like that. Um, and they have a bunch of like uh, waiters there instead of just a few waiters who are a little surly, but it was very good. And they also have fish. So uh, check that out. Now, if you had no idea what I was just saying because I was mispronouncing it, what you can do is go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 451 and there will be links to those two rice table places you can go <laughs> if you come to Amsterdam. And if you are someone who comes to Amsterdam, you know, as as my Dutch coworker said last night, don't eat the Dutch food. There's nothing <laughs> worth committing. Wow. That, like that, that, that would be like if people... Hey, hey, they got great cheeses. Yeah, the cheeses are good. You know, Sure. Or I should say the cheese is good. Uh, but, you know, it'd be like if you went to the States and people are like, Brandon, Matt, I'm going to the States. What would you recommend I would eat? And you would say, like, you know what you should do is have some Kraft macaroni and cheese. <laughs> that is the quintessential American food. Now, as with the Dutch food, Dutch food, like, is like that. It's like, to us three, it's just like, oh, yeah, I would eat that all the time. I mean, yeah. don't don't ruin my story here. But like that is like the best food. That's American food. It's fantastic. But you would never recommend that someone who was not brought up uh, would eat that. However, if you do come to Amsterdam, go get a rice table. You'll have a good time uh, and and enjoy it. Now, with that, this has been another enjoyable episode that we would recommend to anyone, no matter where they're from, whether they're from where we are or not. Uh, you can eat it if you can figure out eating out sound, but it's been another episode of Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, join our Slack channel, see all the ongoing conversation that we have, uh, various options at vending machines on the other side of the world. You can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 451, find all of that, and we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. You want to tell the story of what is the beginning of Software Defined Talk? <laughs> well, now, as I remember it, Brandon, this must have been, this is when I was at 451 which was in 2011 to 2012? No, because I went to Pivotal. I must have been at 451. I worked there for 15 months, and I worked at Pivotal in 2015, whatever. So someone can do the math. Uh, anyways, I started at some time before 2015, maybe 2013. And, um, you know, I had done podcasts for a while, and I wanted to, I forget what, pushed me into this, but I wanted to just start doing a new podcast talking about weekly news stuff. Uh, and so I, uh, uh, I don't think I called you. I don't think I was calling people at that point, but I, <laughs> I got, I got in touch with you. That's right. Uh, email. I think it was just email. Yes. Cause, cause I thought, I thought, you know, we'd done lots of work together at the, uh, the, the, uh, when I was at Red Monk, we did a podcast there and some videos and things like that. And you were obviously someone who uh, could talk and had an interest in this. So you'd be a good podcast person, a good foil or not a foil that that's sort of like, you'd be a good uh, co-host for it. And uh, so, so that was it. And then I think was it, we'll see if my memory is accurate. Like, I think maybe you suggested we needed a third person. And I think we were like, I don't know. What about Matt? Yeah. And, uh, I think that's, that's, uh, we invited him. Yeah. I think, cause I think we loosely based it on at that time. I think we were both listening to the political gab fest, political gab fest. And it was, and of course like the round table format, I don't know who invented it. I mean, maybe it's like the beginning of time, but that, I think that was sort of one of the podcasts I was using. So we broadly in the most loose, I guess loosely in the most loose sense kind of said, Hey, that's a format that we should try to do. And so this, this podcast started in 2014. And I guess to go back a little bit, um, in history for people that are really interested is I guess Matt, Cote and I all worked together at BMC where, was, where we all officially met and probably around like 2001-ish, 2002-ish, I think. Um, and then, uh, yeah. You, know, yeah. And, you know, for the true diehards, you know, Cote was always, has always been an early adopter. So you started, the first podcast I know you started was your drunk and retired We'll That's right. probably call that a, a, I don't know, a lifestyle podcast. That was truly, so this is probably 2003. So this is like very early in the days of podcasts. Yeah, maybe maybe um, 2004, 2005, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you were kind of playing with it. In that point, it was like, I mean, no, this was, I think, still, I uh, was it not iPhones. It was, uh, you know. Um, iPods. iPods. And you had to like, it was hard, right? You had to like do a lot of weird yes. stuff to get it in there. Odeo, if people remember that. And there was, there was that kind of stuff. So Kote was doing that for a while. And then I went to Sun 
Uh, and then at Sun, Kote and I, we did a podcast called the Sun Identity Management Buzz. So this was uh-huh. like maybe 2006. So that was probably, Kote, your first actual uh, opportunity to get paid because we, uh, Red Monk at the time was a, yeah. a Sun customer. And right, I was right, like, right. hey, we should do a podcast about identity management and we should have you on there. And then I don't know. It was now looking back on it, it's like because no one knew anything, like no one had any idea what we were d- doing. I just emailed the people. I was like, can we, you know, use some uh some of the red monk money to have Kote in the podcast they're like yeah you can just use like hours because i think that's how red monk charges yep. it's like you have so right. many hours so i was like okay we need like an hour a week for like forever right so we did that one for a long <laughs> time um and that was like that is funny looking back on it that was like i think we actually used uh conference calls a lot of the times so actually recorded them on the phone yeah what, what i you was, know i think i actually had I, like a one of those 3.5 millimeter jacks like hooked up into a yeah, phone. It was very to like, to like hook up and record onto a uh, computer. It was very crazy. So we did that one for several years. I ended up leaving Sun. I think Kote, you did it for a little bit longer. And then we yeah, did Yeah, with another, uh, Daniel, right? The monkey Daniel, guy. Yeah, Daniel Raskin did it for a while. Then Sun sort of was absorbed by Oracle. And then uh, Kote, I think then we did another one. We did the Austin Tech scene. We thought, okay, that'd be uh, cool. We'll yeah. do a podcast like that. I think we quickly figured out that 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 wasn't big enough. There was nothing there. There just I mean, my, my, my only, uh, my only, uh, motivation for doing that was to get some sort of attention from the Austin VC community. But it (laughs) turns out that the problem, the misalignment there, I don't know if this is still the case. I have no idea, but back then the Austin VC community was very consumer tech focused. Mm -hmm. Well, I shouldn't say very, but they were mostly consumer tech focused. And uh, so it didn't really align with, uh, any business model I was in at the time. So it didn't pan out. Like you remember they had, what, what was the name of the company that, that was doing like shipping or, or no, they, U- they, they, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. They, there was U ship. And then there was also like the Airbnb of storage space, I think was another hot one. Yeah. I think, was, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they moved to Oklahoma at some point. Yeah. There was a storage company here. Yes. So that was uh, that's well. So yeah, that's true that I forgot about it. Yeah. Some of those companies I've completely forgotten about. So yeah. So then that, yeah, that one. And then, yeah, then you became an analyst at 451. I think, you, and, and as you already said, right. I think that was sort of the birth of this one. This one's been going. So I guess since we're going to say 2014, so I don't know, I think we've, I think we've settled into the format probably is yeah. <laughs> this over years is, is what it is. So, yeah. So hopefully yeah. Alec, hopefully that was a, an exciting, walk through the history of uh, software-defined talk. Make sure you talk about how great I am. Talk to you later.